Hey, everybody. Before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You can also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we are doing a, whew, I, I don't even know what to call it, but it is uh, one of the craziest movies that will probably happen this year. Um, it is a movie called Serenity. And before we get into that conversation, I do want to remind you, please make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together on your favorite podcast app. And also follow us on social media at PiecingPod. I'll keep it brief. Let's jump into this. Um, Serenity is a film from Stephen Knight. Stars Matthew McConaughey, uh, Anne Hathaway, Diane Lane, Jason Clark. Um, it's about a fishing boat captain who uh, is confronted by an ex-girlfriend of his who asks for his help in murdering her husband. Um that doesn't even begin to describe where this movie goes, what the twists are, what the secrets are. I will warn you that if you haven't seen it yet, you should go watch it first. Um, <laughs> I I will tell you one spoiler in that this is not necessarily what you might call a good movie, um, but it is the most entertaining movie I've seen all year, granted it's only February right now, um, but I had so much fun with this movie, and I do think people should see it in the theater while it's still out, so make sure you see it, and then listen to this episode. Um, a lot of other reviews are just spoiling it right up front, and uh, that's fine if that's what they want to do, but uh, I just wanted to give you that little warning. Joining me for this episode is a brand new co-host, Kristen Lopez. Uh, I will let her tell you a little bit about herself as we get into the episode, but I'm really glad to have her here to talk about it. We both really uh, enjoyed this movie for what it is, and it was a great time talking to her. Let's get to the conversation. All right, so today on the show, we got with us a new co-host. I want to welcome to the show, Kristen Lopez. Kristen, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. I, absolutely. I, I've been wanting to have you on for a while now. We connected on Twitter, you know, the whole film Twitter thing. And I, I, I've met so many other uh, movie fans and movie critics over these last, you know, six months, eight months since I've really been very active with this whole podcast thing. And uh I always see your tweets and everything, and you, you know you seem awesome, and I'm glad to have you on the show. Uh, hopefully, um, hopefully you've seen the good, articulate tweets, and not the angry and or incredibly thirsty tweets that also fill my Twitter. <laughs> we we all have plenty of each, I think. <laughs> exactly. It wouldn't be yeah. film Twitter without both of them, and I think 
I think this movie that we're talking about has both of those two. Oh my God, yes, it does. <laughs> well, before we jump into the movie, um, as I always do on piecing it together when I have a new uh, uh, co-host on the show, I'd like to just you know have you kind of give the people a little bit about who you are and, and your uh, your work and and what you've done. Yeah, I'm a freelance film critic and essayist, which usually just means overworked and underpaid. <laughs> um, I, I'm a part of the tomato meter, so my stuff influences that in some very tiny way. But I've been fortunate to be published on RogerEber.com, The Hollywood Reporter, The Daily Beast. Uh, I hustle. <laughs> And it's <laughs> wonderful and exhausting all at the same time. Uh, but I also, in my free time, get to do two really fun podcasts, one of which is Citizen Dame, which is four female film critics grousing about all the stuff that happens in the world of entertainment that most of the dude-centric entertainment shows don't talk about. Mm. And also do Ticklish Business, which is a classic film-based podcast, so anything pre-1970 we talk about so it actually helped me come up with stuff for this episode <laughs> nice nice yeah i could imagine that uh a lot of norrin influence in this one so oh yes for <laughs> yeah. good <I> know. <laughs> right on well uh yeah no that, that that's awesome um uh i was gonna say that uh i i've, I've listened to uh citizen dame and and it's a fun show and it's, it's great to get that uh that point of view and everything it's, it's always a good listen it's it's been great. We've been doing it almost over a year, and just the response from people who really enjoy hearing women talk about film. You know, the the whole conceit when we started was is that most male centric entertainment shows that have like a roundtable atmosphere, there's always usually one woman. Like that's where they mm -hmm. keep it. And so our impetus to start it was, what if it was just all women? What right. if, and, and it shouldn't be revolutionary, but people seem to like it. And we even got to interview uh, my co-host, Karen Peterson, got to interview Tommy Wiseau specifically for Citizen Game. Why did he <laughs> want to be on the show? I have no idea. But it was amazing that we got Tommy Wiseau clout. <laughs> that That is, yeah, that's important. That is, that is a big deal. That I would... I I I'd love some of that clout. That, that's, that's that's good clout. Um. <laughs> Tommy Wiseau is willing to talk to anybody that says they'll give him a platform. So yeah, <laughs> really get in touch with him. I think I think he'd do it. Why not? I, got, I gotta get him on. I gotta get him on. It'll it'll it's, happen. One of these. It's days. a bucket list goal, right there. <laughs> Right on. Well, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm glad to have you on the show. I, it, you know, this show has, you know, we've, we've only been doing it. Well, we've been doing it almost a year now, about 11 months, and I've uh, only had one other female guest on so far. And I want to have more. I just, uh, you know, I just haven't been able to connect with too many so far. But I'm hoping to change that this year, year two. So uh, thank you for being on the show, for sure. Anytime. Right on. Well, uh, without any further ado, uh, let's jump into Serenity. Um, before our interview, I'll have already given a little intro to what the movie is, so we could kind of jump right into the insanity already. Um, <laughs> why don't we just go right ahead with your first puzzle piece for Serenity? So I wasn't really 
sure as long as it's just an influence, right? So it's it's essentially however we want to argue as an influence. <laughs> sure, yeah, and and it could be sometimes they're a little loose, and it's more of just I it reminded me of this, but yeah, ab- absolutely an influence. Oh, there are there are many influences in this movie, and honestly, I'm not sure if any of them are intentional or not. <laughs> but I'm gonna go with the serious one first because I, it was the thing I saw immediately when I saw the trailer. But uh, 1950s, The Breaking Point. Okay. Um, most people have not seen this movie, and I understand that. Um, it's a it's a 1950s film noir directed by Michael Curtiz. It's technically a remake of to have and have not from the 40s but that movie was not at all an adaptation of the Hemingway novel that it's supposed to be based on this is so it's mm-hmm. really weird but um it's essentially the story of a sea captain who runs a charter fishing boat and wants to be able to keep that boat but he's constantly trying to make money and he never has enough and so he ends up getting involved with these shady characters of course, there's a femme fatale, and mm. it puts him in not just a stew with the authorities and losing his boat, but also his wife, his nice, dependable wife who sits at home and constantly makes comments about how uh, how pretty the other woman is. And so when <laughs> the trailer for Serenity came out, I was just like, oh, so it's just the breaking point, only modern day. Okay, well, I like the breaking point. I should like this. And I like both of them for vastly different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, so I, I'm assuming in the breaking point, he's not uh, having sex for money with Diane Lane every day. Is Unfortunately, that... no. no, no. If if you had told me that this was a movie where John Garfield had sex with Patricia Neal uh, to make money, I would say sign me up because I love, I have a, a weird borderlining on obsession with John Garfield, even though he's been dead for 60 years. Um, so so I would be all for it. It would just make this movie even better than it already is. But I was just watching it. I, I actually rewatched The Breaking Point. It was on TCM the other day, and I rewatched it after I'd seen Serenity, and I was just like, God. It would be great just like if at the end of The Breaking Point, Matthew McConaughey showed up. It was all in color, and they didn't explain <laughs> anything about why this had changed. it would have just as much sense yeah exactly it would have made just as much sense it it wouldn't have thrown me off one bit (laughs) right on yeah i have not seen uh the breaking point but i I, i'm pretty sure i've heard of it before and and i just was uh i just brought it up and it it definitely looks familiar to me and everything that you're saying about it, it totally makes sense as an inspiration for this movie certainly for um i would think why matthew mcconaughey maybe would have signed on to this um, in the first place, um, maybe he thought he was making something a little more like that. Maybe in halfway thought so. I maintain everybody in Serenity only was given the pages that they were in. <laughs> so they had no idea what the rest of the movie was. So, yes, I think genuinely they all thought they were making some sort of neo-noir throwback. And little did they know. <laughs> oh, man. You know, that that that. Uh, theory really holds up for I, I didn't write down his name but the the little guy with the glasses who basically re- makes the big reveal oh, that, char- yeah. that character w- it may- would make so much sense if he had nothing else to go on except for whatever pages he was on um, <laughs> because he didn't really seem like he was in the movie in any way he shape or seems form. like he is ripped from another influence that I'm hoping 
I know I might bring up, I don't know if you're going to bring up, but he, he seems like he's from a totally different movie that this movie stole from. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see uh, who gets to it first. Um, <laughs> so uh, my first puzzle piece, um, it, the first thing that I thought of while I was, well, n- not while I was watching it, but as the credits rolled, um, at, that is the Lawnmower Man. Um, which is a, uh, you know, based on the Stephen King, uh, short story and, and an early, uh, an early movie that dealt with virtual reality and, um, w- you know, what virtual reality is and the idea of being w- within, within an alternate, uh, reality that you get to go into and it didn't quite grasp what that is. Um, it didn't, it didn't grasp the idea of VR and, and it didn't do it in any kind of real way. Um, I feel like, uh, uh, Stephen Knight's script doesn't really understand what video games are in that, in that same exact way of, of what going into a video game, what being a video game character would even mean if that was a, uh, you know, an interesting idea. Um, and, and I feel like it does it in, in a very similar way in the, in the whole, uh, the idea of, of going into it and not really drawing any kind of uh, definitive lines of what, what it means to be in the game or in the real world. It, it, it's kind of mind blowing a little bit. Um, <laughs> do, do you, when, how long has it been since you saw Lawnmower Man? I've never seen it actually. It's you haven't? Yeah. Oh, it, it's a uh, it, it's a it's a beautiful movie. <laughs> I've heard I've heard uh, very mixed things about it, so yeah. I'm interested yeah. in it. it. It's definitely not a good movie, but but it was <laughs> at, at at the time. What is, it, good? What is yeah. good after seeing this, though? I mean, you exactly, know, exactly. It, at the time, being I think. Um, I don't know how old you are, but I think I was like 12 or 13 when that movie came out. It was like, it was wild and, and awesome, but I mean, wow, going back to it, it's like just so freaking ridiculous. And, uh, yeah, it, 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 it's just, it's just hilarious in how much it doesn't really, uh, it doesn't get even what it's trying to do, what, what it thinks it's trying to do. And I, I just, I just found a lot of parallels between that and, uh, what's happening in Serenity with the whole major twist, which, uh, by the way, I'm not sure if you know, but we do do spoilers on this show. So do not worry about, uh, spoiling anything. If you end up going there with any, any of the pieces you talk about. I was going to go there with my next one. So I'm glad you told me that. (laughs) Awesome. Well, what is your next puzzle piece then? So my next one is a film from 2001. I'm just going to throw it out there. It was the one I was talking about just a couple of seconds ago. It's Vanilla Sky. Nice. Yeah. So I saw a lot of movies that I think Stephen Knight just watched. And I I maintain. So a little backstory. I believe that this movie started out as a neo-noir. And then Stephen Knight hit his head. (laughs) And then woke up the next day and didn't bother to read anything that he had read before and just kept writing the movie but he wrote it from a totally different perspective and didn't even bother to realize like what he had set up at the beginning um so as soon as you see the little guy in this movie with glasses that is looking for matthew mcconaughey's baker dill name this movie you're great um he keeps showing up um prominently late and he thinks i think he says at a certain point i'm always 20 minutes late how does that happen 
Um, and and I thought first he's dead because I was like, <laughs> no one else can see this guy. They just ignore him. Why would he be dead? Dead would have made more sense, I think. Uh, but then when he showed up again and he's like, I'm 20 minutes late, I was just like, no. He's tech support, isn't he? <laughs> he is. Uh, so Vanilla Sky, if you've seen it, um, mm -hmm. there are numerous ways to, to interpret it. And, but you find out at a certain point that um, Tom Cruise's character is living in um, a simulation of his life because he has died and he is in, um, what is it, um, suspended animation while they're like trying to find out what killed him. He's essentially cryogenically frozen. Um, mm. and, and so the whole movie plays out as allegedly, based on how you want to take it, um, this, this dream within a dream as, they, as time passes in the real world. And of course things go wrong and he's in this like waking nightmare. And throughout the movie, Noah Taylor's character keeps trying to pop up and at the end says he is tech support to essentially wake up Tom Cruise's character. And so that's essentially the same character in Serenity. He is there to give the rules, quote unquote, of this world. And at a certain point, his job is to stop Baker Dill from killing Jason Clark's character, who is Anne Hathaway's husband. And right. it's, the, it's the same character. It is the same character, <laughs> almost in the same movie. Only I think Vanilla Sky might be smarter because at least it's consistently weird. It, it right, right. Start out <laughs> as one thing and then go into weird territory. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, if I was Cameron Crowe or actually Alejandro Menabar, who wrote the original Spanish language film, I'd have my hand out for some money. Right. <laughs> yeah. Give, give, give it here. Give it here. You know, I, I'm really glad you just recapped Vanilla Sky because it, it's funny. This is a total aside, but I remember when I saw that back when it came out, I remember thinking to myself, wow, this is freaking crazy. I need to watch it again so I can really like soak it all in and really know what the hell I just watched. And then I never watched it again. And, and so I, I feel like, I feel like I know it now more. A little it's not bit. popular to say that you like vanilla sky more than the original. I watched the original for the first time last year. I mm -hmm. this first and wow. I, I maintain that vanilla sky is a better movie. I mean, I get it's very Hollywood. It's a very polished remake and it's very Cameron Crowe. But sure. I do love it, and I love what it does to Tom Cruise's persona. Um, I feel like maybe Matthew McConaughey read this script and thought, oh, this is Vanilla Sky. Like, we're going to make that movie. No. Mm -mm. No. <laughs> you're going to make something better, Maddie. And it's amazing. Yeah. You're, you're, you're going to be remembered for this one, but Oh, yes. <laughs> right on. Um, all right. Well, my next puzzle piece. Um, now... We talked a little bit before uh, we got started about about the noir influence, and I'm sure that's going to come up uh, throughout our puzzle pieces. I, I would not claim to be any kind of expert on on noir, but uh, this Jim Carrey movie, The Number Twenty Three, uh, <laughs> also is is not an expert on noir, uh, and um, that that movie takes the idea of noir and does it in in a very just kind of you know half assed way. Um, it, it 
you know, it thinks it's it's doing it very, very, you know, it, it's got all of the elements and they just don't tie together into anything meaningful or really particularly interesting in a non-funny way. Um, I, and I feel like Serenity, unfortunately, takes that cue. Um, you know, and there's a lot of, like, really talented people involved in this. Um, every Everybody in it, and they're all, like, acting their asses off. They're all, like, really putting in 100%. And I, I remember thinking back then, like, man, and Jim Carrey is trying with this movie, um, and it's just not coming together. And 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 I, again, th- this is more of a uh, uh, reminds me of more so than a specific influence per se. But it, uh, yeah, the number twenty three, it, it just it just takes film noir and just doesn't really do it right. And that that's kind I, of what I'm seeing here. I remember the only thing I remember about that movie was the marketing for that film was all about hyping up how jacked Jim Carrey got to make it. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to know about Jim Carrey getting abs. Like, stop telling me that. But that was, I literally remember nothing else about the movie other than they really wanted you to think that Jim Carrey's sex symbol. And I was not understanding it at all. You know, you know, sex symbols are always walking around holding saxophones in the advertisements. That's, <laughs> that's a major sex are. symbol. Thing. Of course. Yeah. oh my god i'm glad you did a a reminiscent one because there were a couple things this movie reminded me of that again i'm not i can't even think stephen knight intentionally did any of this okay so i'm I'm actually gonna throw out a tv show i don't know if that's loud but that that is i i've got one too on my list so that's totally fine it it might be the same tv show Okay. I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's the season finale of St. Elsewhere. <laughs> okay. It's not the same one, but that's awesome. <laughs> okay. Um, full disclosure, I have never seen an episode of St. Elsewhere, but I know how St. Elsewhere ends because it is considered one of the more infamous endings ever created for television. Okay. So St. Elsewhere is a show from 1982 to 1988. This claim to fame was... A, the ending, and the fact that it had Denzel Washington on it. So that's about the extent of what I know. Um, and it was supposed to be the, like, um, it was like the Grey's Anatomy of the 80s, from what I'm assuming, um, <laughs> about these people that work in a hospital. But then you find out at the end of the movie, or at the end of the show, at the end of the series, okay, which ran from 82 to 88. So you had six seasons that the entirety of the show was in a little autistic kid's snow globe. Oh, wow. Just let that sink in right there. Be in six seasons in a snow globe. And if you've seen the end of Serenity, when you find out that everything in the movie is a little antisocial kid's computer game Sims thing. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. So once again, the creators of St. Elsewhere, I hope you guys are prepped to not get a check because they stole the end. They just replaced (laughs) the snow in the snow globe for sunny paradise that looks like Sim Island. Yeah, right. (laughs) Where Matthew McConaughey apparently is the only man because every woman wants to bone him. And (laughs) his entire job is to find tuna. That's not a metaphor, but it is a metaphor. (laughs) 
Right. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, he spends his day doing that and swimming naked, which is what he calls a shower. So much <laughs> Maddie McConaughey almost nudity that I was just like, if you, if anybody's read my articles, I have a real irritant with unequal nudity on screen. Um, sure. And and so watching this movie and watching how many times Matthew McConaughey intentionally flashes his junk at the camera, and but yet you don't see anything. I was very unclear. Was that like the Sims thing? You know how like when the Sims get out of bed and they have like the little pixels on yeah. the pits? Um, <laughs> that's the only thing I was thinking other than the fact that maybe Maddie McConaughey doesn't have anything. I don't know. But that's it's a- very, very frustrating to me. Like, stop showing it. It's not going to show it. That's a really good point. This movie, <laughs> it's it's so funny that like almost any criticism of this movie could be written away by you know oh it's a video exactly. game they were trying to do that. They, is it genius? Were... <laughs> is it genius or is it stupid? I literally don't know. <laughs> you know, I was also wondering during those uh, during those swimming scenes since we're talking about them now. It, do you think that that is just some incredible cinematography that they managed to to not show anything, or did they have to just CGI out like like spend like a solid chunk of the budget on? Uh, on I literally removing? have no idea. There is a scene where he jumps into the ocean, and it's just like it should be in your face, yeah. and there's nothing there. And I was just like, "What is happening? Did they?" It's amazing. I I, I kind of want to ask the visual effects guy, like. Strange question, bro, but what happened there? What was going on? I so want strange. <laughs> Be- better editing than Bohemian Rhapsody, that's for oh, sure. Oh, so much so much better <laughs> editing Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh man. Well, I- I'm going to uh I'm going to go with the TV show for my next one. I I just realized I actually have two TV shows on my list, so I'm cheating a whole bunch here um my my next one is actually it's kind of a combination puzzle piece. It's it's two things. Um it it's True Detective and Matthew McConaughey's Lincoln commercials. Um, oh, you stole one of mine. <laughs> ah, damn. The Lincoln yeah. commercials were, were my next one. <laughs> I'm glad yeah. you brought it up, though. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, this is just, I, the script is just a chance for McConaughey to just say stuff all mystical-like, and it, so much of it is so unnecessary, and so, like, has nothing to do with anything, and, it, you know, and then even once we get to, like, where there's some big, like, existential questions being asked with the whole video game angle and him being a, a character, like, nothing he says really kind of seems like somebody dealing with that it's just him throwing out these like mcconaughey sounding little quotes and stuff um and it's freaking bizarre the joys of the matthew mcconaughey lincoln commercials which are what this movie is i feel Mm -hmm. like these if this movie had ended with just the lincoln logo at the end (laughs) i feel like that makes so much sense oh my god because if you watch any of those commercials it's just like showing you how you assume Matthew McConaughey lives, which is just that he shows up at parties and like shoots pool <laughs> wondrously and ladies are just like lusting over him. And so when I was watching this show or this movie and he's, he's, you know, sitting on his boat talking about how, all right, all right, I'm hunting tuna named justice and I'm going to put it in a Lincoln. Like I was, I, it would have made as much sense. It oh, would have man. made as much sense if him and his kid and Anne Hathaway and her breathy Maryland voice got into a Lincoln and drove off into the Plymouth pixelated sunset. 
I would have been like, yeah, I want to buy a Lincoln now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, that would have been a great like final twist. That would have been amazing. Um... <laughs> you see the people like they should have just done the end of Vice and just showed like the Lincoln test, like whoever's in charge of marketing, watching the movie. And then it's like, <laughs> perfect. We're going to sell all the Lincolns off of this. Yeah, totally. That, that would have worked so freaking well. So well. <laughs> yeah, hashtag oh, buy Lincoln and go see Serenity. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is offensive that he's driving like a beat up truck that doesn't have a logo on it. I was like, that's obviously not a Lincoln. He's contractually breaching his agreement. So. Okay. You know what? Since you're bringing up the driving, um, here's just a random question. Maybe you caught and I didn't. Uh, was there any significance to the red light he kept stopping at? And it was like, ah, come on, come on, come on, go, come on already. Like I assumed that it was kind of like, um, like a video game that like, he can't, he can't break the law because they're like, oh, there's no, there's no law breaking in Plymouth. There's oh, the law. And so yeah. essentially, and I, I had a reference for that when I saw the movie, not the Truman Show. Um, but I was thinking of something else where they were like physically incapable of doing something. Um, maybe it was iRobot. I don't remember. But I, I, I thought that, yeah, that's what it was going for. That because the, the game is hardwired with rules that he can't run a red light. Interesting. Interesting. All right. <laughs> Why don't you go <laughs> ahead with, with your next puzzle piece? Speaking of computers, I'm going to go with a movie that apparently I, I think I'm the only person that actually enjoys it. Um, and it's a movie from 2002 called Simone or S1MONE um, <laughs> because we had stupid titles back in 2002. Um, <laughs> this, I believe, was Andrew Nichols' follow up to Gattaca, which a lot of people really love Gattaca. I think it's great. Um, yeah, yeah. And then this was supposed to be his big return. I think it ended up ruining his career, and he went on to make <laughs> no good movies after it. Um, I don't even think Andrew Nichol likes Simone at this point. I know, right? Um, and I, I find Simone to be a very cute movie, but it's essentially the story of a producer played by Al Pacino who decides to digitally create an actress to substitute for the star in his film. So in 2002, we were already making movies about how we don't need actors, we can just create them in a Sims thing and put them in our movies. Um, who would have thunk Andrew Nichol would have actually been predicting the future. Um, and that's essentially what the <laughs> Serenity is. A little boy creates a living image of his dad in this computer simulation, who for some reason really likes to show his ass a lot and gets laid a lot in this movie. Um, I, biggest problem I have, biggest problem slash thing I love was that this kid spends a lot of time on the computer creating a computer game where his dad gets laid a lot. And at one and, and and where his mom gets beat. And like, his mom gets beat, and at one point his parents bone. Yeah. Allegedly <laughs> conceive him. I well wait, he already exists. So yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, what kind of kid you were, but I know that I didn't even want to think about my parents having sex, let alone spend time creating computer characters where they would fornicate. <sighs> Simone doesn't have any of that, but... <laughs> yeah. It's a good jumping off point, though. Exactly. To, to... <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I remember Simone. I, I I saw it in the theater. I don't think I've I've seen it since. Um, but uh, yeah, that's a good puzzle piece though for sure. And, and it is weird though the the lengths to which uh, this movie takes that and runs <laughs> to to, uh, to show him what this kid is made of this weird world. I, I it it just doesn't make sense. It's so strange. Um, <laughs> uh, well, you know what you you briefly touched on the Truman Show there. You, you you mentioned it, and the Truman Show was one of mine, actually. Um, but I hadn't thought of this until you just said it. Uh, but y- you were saying about uh, him being, f- like, incapable of doing something because yeah. of the laws. And actually, I'm thinking Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Oh, the, okay. The scene where he uh, can't get her to turn around, and it's always just the back of her head. Um, or, or it actually wasn't her. It was, uh, it was, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, from Lord of the Rings. Um, uh, Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood. It was him, right? That I think uh, he kept trying to turn him around and it was just the back of his head constantly. Right. But yeah. He yeah. didn't actually know what he looked like. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Exactly. And so that, that's like the kind of thing that wouldn't be programmed in this game. So you couldn't get to it. Um, so I, I guess I'm combining two more Jim Carrey starring movies right now, Truman Show and Eternal Sunshine. Uh, but but with the Truman Show specifically, all these characters, they basically their lives are to keep Truman on track, whereas right. that's kind of what's happening here in uh, very much it, what happened in here. Serenity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and uh, it, I, I thought it was the one part of this movie that I kind of genuinely liked <laughs> was the um, the lady at the uh, the fish tackle bait yeah. store or whatever. Yeah, I, I thought she was good at playing like what would basically in a video game be a non-player character like that just kind of gives you the little like couple of lines and that's all they say over and over again even if you keep going back to them and hitting the a button again and they say the same thing um she did a really good job i thought of of playing that which i just think is just so funny and jaiman hounsu actually plays the literal moral compass in this movie (laughs) his job is purely to do the right thing or to convince other people of it which i think might be flirting with the mystical Negro trope just a little yeah. bit. Uh, but I think so. Yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, it's still racist in some way. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, he must get tired of that role. I mean, he honestly, because he's, he's played it so many times. It's ridiculous. I mean, hey, he does a, he does a good job in the movie, though, as exactly. everybody does. Exactly. He does a good I enough should, job. I should ask, how many more do I have left? Because I have a whole list, and I want to make sure I do the best ones. Okay. Um, well, I have... I have two more left, and kind of a little bonusy one, so... Okay. I can, I can work with that. Okay. Cool. So, what is your next one? Okay. So, my next one is going back to 1997... And it's Oliver Stone's U-Turn. Mm. Yeah, okay. so U-Turn is um, a very bizarre movie that feels like it's David Lynch if David Lynch was kind of stupid and <laughs> was Oliver Stone, I guess. Uh, but it tells the story of Sean Penn, who um, is going to Vegas to pay off his gambling debts before the Russian mob kills him. And he ends up in this er- town in Arizona where everything is wrong and weird. So, like, Jennifer Lopez plays the femme fatale who, um, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I, th- I think that 
her husband abuses her. And so she's using Sean Penn to get rid of him. But then there's these weird David Lynch-esque Twin Peaks moments. Like Oliver Stone just watched Twin Peaks and was like, I'm going to do this. So like, um, I think Joaquin Phoenix and Claire Danes play like these Bobby Sox-esque 1950s teens that are in a diner. And and Sean Penn's character is incredibly self-aware. And he's just like, what the hell is going on? And, and <laughs> It's a very bizarre little neo-noir that is actually a whole lot of fun if you don't think about it too much. Much like Serenity. <laughs> yes, there you go. Yeah, that, that, that's a good point. It's a lot of fun if you don't think about it at all. Exactly. Really. <laughs> that's the best way to sum it up. <laughs> right on. Yeah, I like that one. That's, that's a good one. Um, I, I'm going to go with my next... Uh, I said I had two television ones. Uh, and it's funny you brought up the end of a show. Uh, I think it was the finale of St. Elsewhere that you said... Um, this is the most recent season specifically of The Affair. Um, I don't know if you watch that show. I um, do but not. It's... I'm terrible with television. So. Okay, yeah. I, I don't watch that much either, but we, 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 that's one of the shows that we've watched. And um, the first couple seasons were, you know, a good, solid, like, like, you know, mystery kind of show. And it just went completely off the rails in the last season. Um, like, just quadrupling down on mystery to the point where nothing really means anything or makes sense anymore. Nothing is as interesting as anybody really seems to think it is. Um, and, and, and so the, I, was instantly reminded of it. Actually, from the first trailer, I thought that oh, this is going to be kind of like a movie that's very similar to The Affair. But, um, you know, obviously it went in completely other directions. But uh, regardless, yeah, the, the Affair's most recent season, it's just, it's a show that takes uh, takes the idea of, of an interesting mystery and just kind of just goes off the deep end. In a great <laughs> way, though. Yes, yes, of course. In a totally great way. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna save my last one as like a little bonus as as you mentioned because it's not a huge influence. Um, but the last the last one I really thought of seemed obvious to me was Interstellar. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is the movie that Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway made before this. Yes, um, and and I feel it's very similar. The minute that Anne Hathaway's character tells Matthew McConaughey in Serenity, your son talks to you through the computer. I was just like, oh, my God, it's Murph all over again. Oh, my God. Wow. I, I can't believe I didn't think of that. I hate Interstellar. Um, I, <laughs> I, I don't really like it much either. <laughs> I, I, I'm not a fan. Yeah, and, I, I agree. And a key portion of Interstellar is this father-daughter plot line um, where he can talk to his daughter through dust motes and, like, lines <laughs> of sand in her bookcase. Um, it's really stupid. But it's, the, it's, it's no stupid, I guess, stupider than this. Because this kid talks to his dad through his computer. But he's really not. He's literally talking to himself. When, when I throw out the bonus, we're going to be talking about this kid. Because I had real issues with how we're supposed to take this kid at the end of the movie. And um, I had problems with it. So, yeah. Um, it's, it's Murph all over again. I, I agree with problems. And we'll, we'll get there. But, yeah. Problems with the end of what this kid... We'll get there. <laughs> it's... it's <laughs> So ridiculous, so ridiculous that it's ex we're expected to just go along with it. But uh, yeah, I'll I'll do my next puzzle piece, and we'll we'll get to it soon enough. Um, my uh my next puzzle piece, my last regular one is uh 
really it's just casual video games um games where you do like little fishing activities or like uh just like shooting a single basketball or just driving down a street or whatever like little simple casual games i'm not sure so i have two theories uh either steven knight is obsessed with these games and plays them every waking minute and that's where this idea kind of came from uh or he has a stepson who he can't stand who is obsessed with them (laughs) one one or the other or there's a third option which is he has children who spend all their time playing games, and he wanted to get mm-hmm. down with "quote unquote" the kids, and yeah. made this movie. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how old Stephen Knight is. That that that, that seems like something like a, like a seventy year old guy would do. Um, like I'll write, I'll write, a, I'll write a movie about video games. It'll get with them, you know. Like I I don't know if he's an older dude or if he's younger. Um, if he's younger, I would have to imagine that. He knows better. Like <laughs> it's not gonna work with your kids. <laughs> but that is a viable theory, though. Um, <laughs> now, now I just want to yeah. know how how old Stephen Knight is. Stephen Knight was born in 1959. Hmm. Okay. So he so... is 60 years old. As as we were, we're I think we we're on something. He's trying to get down with the kids. That's very possible. Yeah, I'm looking at a picture of him right now. He. Uh... Doesn't look like uh, like a guy. Doesn't look would... like a gamer. No, no. Yeah, no, definitely not. He probably not. watched his kids play The Sims one time and said, "Oh, it's really interesting." And then he watched Simone, and then he was like, "Okay, I'm going to make this movie." <laughs> yeah, The Sims meets Simone. That, that's, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. <laughs> All right, what's your uh, next piece? So um, we have to talk about the ending, and I I feel I can't. I can't throw that out without throwing out the two movies that I came up with where I was like, so this is just psycho meets bowling for Columbine. If this was reality. (laughs) So you find out at the end of the movie that this kid who has no friends seemingly, uh, but is quote unquote, a genius who spent all his time playing video games, um, go essentially gets confidence from his sim dad played by Manny McConaughey to go and kill his real dad, who is still Jason Clark, um, to save his mom, who is being abused. So he stabs his dad, and then they take him to a mental hospital. And, Straight up and, murder. And for murder. And they're like, he's ta- he hasn't talked to anybody. And he's literally simulating in his head a phone call between him and his dad and is proceeding to talk to himself. I just went cross-eyed, I think. Um, but I was like, you know, I know another movie about a kid that talked to his dead parent after he murdered somebody. His name was Norman Bates, and it wasn't cute. It was frightening. Like I was just sitting there thinking, if this was reality, this kid is a mass shooter waiting to happen. This is not charming. This is frightening. Someone get this kid some professional help. He might need to go away until he's 21. He's definitely going to need a Thorazine drip. I mean... I was I was afraid for a lot of the people that did know him because I'm thinking you're going to find some stuff afterwards that's that's not cute and charming. It's going to be terrifying. I I couldn't put it any better than what you just said. I mean, it's it's so ridiculous we're expected to go along with this. And also uh one addition to that is the fact that it's not his dad. It, you know what I mean? It's just a video game character he programmed. It's, he it's, saw a picture of his dad, because you find at the end there's a photo of Matthew McConaughey in uniform. He didn't yeah. know his dad, seemingly. We don't know. Um, right. He's just 
created this version of what he assumes his dad was like, which I was like, why would you think of your dad as nothing more than a loser who fishes all day <laughs> and gets laid a lot? Like, that's a pretty terrible conception of what you think your dad is. Like, if I was going to come up with a perfect father, and mind you, I'm a child of divorce who has a really contentious relationship with her dad, that's not the perfect version of my dad that I would create. <laughs> my God, it's so weird. And and I, I just love that, like, they play it for total, like, heartwarming, um, like, like, triumph at the end when he makes that phone call to his dad like when when he gets uh the phone call from the kid um i will and... say that the, the other uh, reference that i caught too at the very very end is when they reunite which i was like what does that mean is the kid dead like what is right. why is he in this world what is happening um is field of dreams Okay. <laughs> yeah. I was like, so this is Field of Dreams where he gets to play ball with his dad, only he might be institutionalized for like ever. Okay. Well, you know what? <laughs> if that is the case, maybe it's a little bit better of an ending. <laughs> <laughs> just maybe. Just a little bit maybe. Um yeah, that's that's a good point though. Uh but yeah, God, it's so ridiculous. So ridiculous. It's ridiculously um, awesome, I think, is what uh, we're saying. At least that's what that's I'm saying. That's exactly what we're saying. Um, so yeah, I, I that's all of my puzzle pieces except for uh, I was just going to mention uh, I could have just tied this in with Lawnmower Man earlier, but uh, it, it feels in a lot of ways like a bad Stephen King story, and so I was just going to say Stephen King stories in general. Um, I I feel like it's something that he would write. Um, it just wouldn't be a good one. <laughs> this is what he was writing, like one of his novellas, like in in between major releases. Yeah, exactly. This is a this is a little placeholder in the meantime. This was like the the sixth story in a collection of short stories, where the good one was like the second one or something. Exactly. Um, <laughs> exactly. It's like the first. If you watch Creep Show, it's like the second one out of the four, but you still have to yes. get through the rest of the movie. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so did you have any other puzzle pieces or was that it? I am I am all out. This movie steals okay. everything and it's <laughs> a delightful hodgepodge of mess. Oh my god, yeah. Well, let's do um I'm gonna do what's called the finished puzzle where I'm just gonna list down all the things we just talked about and then we'll do any final thoughts that we have. So um the finished puzzle for Serenity includes the breaking point, the lawnmower man, vanilla sky. The finale of St. Elsewhere, Simone, True Detective and the Lincoln commercials, The Truman Show, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, U-Turn, uh, the final season of The Affair, Interstellar, Psycho, Bowling for Columbine, Field of Dreams, and Bad Stephen King short stories. So that uh, is our that finished is puzzle. That is an insane amount of things that should not exist in one movie. <laughs> It's amazing that uh, they're able to pull them all together and actually release it with major, major stars. Um, I don't know how this happened. I mean, Stephen Knight, I I have actually never seen, uh, I know people really loved Locke. I, I, I never actually saw it. Um, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I could imagine that maybe they were interested because of that. Like, you know, oh, this guy did, you know, and he's, he's written on a lot of other things as well. Um, you know, Peaky Blinders, Eastern Promises, you know, uh, maybe they just thought that whatever he's going to do next is going to be good. I, I don't know what happened where 
a movie like this goes off the deep end so much. I don't know at what point. Um, but yeah, wow. It, it's just so great. <laughs> yeah, pre- presumably, based on what I, I read today, um, supposedly McConaughey and Anne Hathaway are incredibly mad at the mm. studio for not promoting this. This is considered the biggest bomb in either of their careers. Wow. And That's surprising. Exactly. And so they're supposedly really mad that the studio promised them full court press and they didn't do um, any significant advertising or press for it. And the studio, which is Averon, um, came out and totally shaded them and was like, there's only so much we can do with a story like this and a D-plus <laughs> cinema score. <laughs> wow. Um, that is, uh, that's harsh. <laughs> that's some shade. And I will, I will say, this movie, and I, I actually feel bad, I just didn't, I realized the biggest comparison I've been making to this all week, I did not throw out. Um, this is The Winter's Tale. Of 2019. Right, right, right. It is Winter's Tale. And you know what? There are people that love that movie. Winter's Tale is incredibly insane, but it's delightful. And this movie will find its fans, the fans that just appreciate its insanity. I'm telling everybody, if you got a $5 Monday or Tuesday at your theater, get some friends, get some food. Go out when you, you know, get like the emptiest theater you can find, which after next week will probably be all of them. And (laughs) just enjoy this movie because it is so insane. But I can tell you, I was never bored. I can tell you, I literally had no idea where it was going to go. And in a world where we know where movies are going from the minute they start to find a movie that you genuinely have no idea where it's going to develop. That's magic so right there. That's magic. It's so true. And, I, you know, I've actually had, like, you know, obviously a lot of my friends will come to me for, you know, recommendations and all that. And, like, I've had a few people ask me, like, so is it the kind of bad where I, I'm going to be laughing, like, a lot? And I'm like, dude, from the opening scene on the boat, like, when he's first fishing and, like, really overdoing with that fishing uh, fishing rod – um, I was already, I was on board a hundred percent from and that. And you will block the ending within the first 20, whatever Anne Hathaway's character shows up and they do these weird turns, 360 turns of the camera. Oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what it is right away because you're like, that's not a cinematographer. That's somebody doing left and right arrow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and as long as you're okay with that, you will have fun. Yes. I, I, I. I couldn't agree more. I I do hope people go watch it. And by the way, um, uh, we are planning. Um, one of my previous co-hosts on this show genuinely liked this movie, like not as a joke. Not ironically, wow. Yeah, and he wants to come on and do like kind of a follow-up rebuttal episode whenever this ends up going up. It should go up next week. Um, So I'm going to be devoting two episodes of piecing it together to this movie. (laughs) That's how much fun I had with it. I really hope Stephen Knight appreciates those of us who like go hard for this movie. I know Citizen Dame, two of the four of us, loved this like we have not stopped talking about it so i feel like <laughs> Stephen knight really owes us like an email or a thank you or something because there are people that unabashedly enjoyed what he made <laughs> yeah absolutely i i couldn't agree more and i mean hey it, as long as it gets seen i mean they should just 
be fine. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey will make another great movie soon enough, and so will Anne Hathaway, who has been on fire lately. Um, you know, they're all gonna be all right. If you are complaining <laughs> that there are not enough movies made for adults, then you are part of the problem. If you didn't go see this, that's all I'm saying. That's that's right. <laughs> that's right. Well, uh, thank you so much uh, for doing this episode with me, Kristen. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Um, where can people find more about you uh, and you know all that kind of stuff? Well, you can find me on Twitter at journeys underscore film. I post all my numerous articles there. If you want to listen to my other shows, uh, you can check out Citizen Dame at citizendame.podbean.com. Ticklish Business is at ticklishbusiness.podbean.com. And both of those are also available anywhere you get podcasts, including Spotify. Beautiful. Well, right on. Um, this was great. I hope you come back and do it again sometime. Anytime you name the weird movie uh, or, or maybe a good movie and I will yes. be here. I, I, I kind of owe it to you. We should do a good movie <laughs> next time. But... Anytime. <laughs> What you're about to hear are the ravings of a lunatic. Well, look, why am I yellow? An unhinged mind. Reboot the country. Someone who has lost all touch with reality. I know who the people are that are stabbing me in the back, and I know who the... If you like this sort of thing, please tune into the Podscare podcast every week and lose a little touch with yourself. Listen, I know a scientist. I, I have... I have... Di, di, uh, I'm... I'm I have proclivities towards science. Find us at podscure.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I figured bringing back that crazy uh, Podscure ad would be a good fit for this episode. Um, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Kristen Lopez. I hope you checked out Serenity first. Obviously, as we always do, we get into spoilers, but it's a pretty big deal with this one because... I mean, come on. <laughs> Serenity is just such a crazy movie. And like I mentioned during the conversation, we will be doing a follow-up episode. Um, it's actually going to be with Joe Black, who joined me for the A Star is Born episode. He actually enjoyed this movie unironically. And I can't wait to hear what he has to say. We're going to be recording that. Uh, well, while I'm recording this, it's tomorrow but uh that'll have already happened a few days ago so anyway we're recording that it's gonna go up on monday and so yeah two episodes of serenity because i just loved it that much i am a fan of movies that are you know what you might call midnight movies you know um <laughs> it's ridiculous movies but anyway uh I hope you enjoyed the conversation i hope you enjoyed this episode i hope you're enjoying this podcast if you are Please make sure you are subscribed on your podcast app of choice. You can rate review us on iTunes. You can join our Facebook group, Piecing It Together, a movie discussion group, where the conversation continues. We have conversations about all kinds of movies, as well as continuing the conversations from these episodes. So please do join that. Uh, you can also check out our website, piecingpod.com. We have a whole bunch of new features that are coming up there uh, starting in, uh, in March when uh, it's our one-year anniversary of the show. So definitely make sure you check that out. And I'm going to leave you today with a piece of my music, as always. Um, I think I'm going to leave you with a track called An Unseen Sky, which is the title track from the album An Unseen Sky. <laughs> so let's go with that, and I will 
Talk to you guys on Monday with more Serenity.